0: Many minds are convinced they should be led. I've gotta be free the way God made men, and I won't be ruled by the damn you Taking your right to self-defense, yes. they say you're safe, but they don't make sense. Danger response will not turn in the guns. The unions always ask for more All we buy is made out of foreign shores Come a day when there'll be real help, hey I've gotta be free
1: Damn you! When hello and welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing. With all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I'm your ever so humble host, and you know, mostly peaceful. Uh, that's I, me, myself, Tim Tap. Glad to have you along for the ride, as I am coming to you from historic Roane County, Tennessee. And uh, I hope that you're all having just a phenomenal Saint Valentine's Day because that is the time of tonight's broadcast. It is February fourteenth, twenty twenty-three. Uh, some of you will be listening to the rebroadcast over at WCETFM in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, and of course over at thelastfrequency.com and the Verit Network. We'll get uh, this broadcast replayed then uh, on wednesday so it'll be tomorrow but you'll be hearing it yeah time travel so so weird anyway uh for those of you that are listening to the podcast various locations thank you for being here and i do hope you are having a fantastic valentine's day if you are just one of the listeners at WCET or The Last Frequency or over at TuneIn.com listening to the Vera Network, Uh, in those particular instances, uh, you need to go check out, uh, find the podcast somewhere. Uh, Sunday's show was pretty good, and it does not get rebroadcast, unfortunately, not at the moment anyway. But uh, we do get the uh, Tuesday show rebroadcast. Anyway, with all that said, lots of stuff going on, including still... More effort for the Biden administration and uh, those involved to make you think, hey, we're tough on balloons. You know, uh, we're setting up Top Gun to take out uh, strange and unusually shaped objects in the sky that probably shouldn't be there. And then we're going to have a briefing, and clearly it's not UFOs, but it's totally UFOs kind of briefings. And it's like, what? Okay, it's not UFOs, but clearly it meets the definition. We need to understand that uh, UFO does not automatically equate to aliens. Okay, there's lots of things that are flying that we have yet to identify. Uh, That's all it takes to be one of those. That's why they try to use different terminology now, the whole nine yards. It's almost humorous the extent that they're piling onto this story, while they continue to ignore things like, I don't know, what's the real depth and damage done by classified documents being everywhere Joe Biden has ever been in his life? Uh, Why were there so many classified documents over at the Penn Biden uh, group for... Communist Chinese government donations. Um, you know what? What? What is this whole thing? Well, you know, let's not talk about that. Let's not look at uh, the train derailment in Ohio. Let's let's not look at anything that might actually be of import. Let's look at the balloons because you know we've already said in the clouds, right? Send in the clouds. All right. Anyway. Um, some movement in the Republican race for president. We have our second official candidate. uh, As we've already been talking about last week, Nikki Haley declared that she was going to declare this week. And, well, she's declared its official, Nikki Haley, the former governor of the state of South Carolina, the one-time U.N. ambassador. Uh, She has decided... To make it official, she wants to be your Republican nominee for President of the United States, figuring it's a good chance to go in and try and take a cheap shot at Joe. Of course, for those of you that may not be as familiar with Nikki Haley, she served three terms in the South Carolina House of Representatives before she was elected governor back in 2010 at the time becoming the youngest governor in the country at the age of 38. After winning re election she served until 2017, when former President Donald J. Trump nominated her as the United States Ambassador to the United Nations. She became that ambassador, and uh, there she contrasted America's freedoms with the despotic actions of authoritarian regimes across the world she had a no take no prisoners kind of attitude i loved her well when she was the un ambassador she she was very blunt and and straightforward and i probably liked her more in that role than i did as governor of south carolina although i didn't dislike her as governor. I I think she did some things that were good, but she also was still a little squishy on occasions. But you know what? It, It feels that way maybe. But the job of governor is to also still be responsive to the people of your state, right? And a good number of the people in the state of South Carolina are not particularly conservative. And you have to try to be governor for both. So where some people saw Squish, where it kind of felt like Squish to me, uh, you could still just as easily argue that she was actually trying to be the governor to every constituent in the state of South Carolina. So I'm not going to grade her too poorly on that, uh, not by any particular means, but um, here we are. That's official. Nikki Haley and Donald John Trump are so far the only two official candidates. Makes me wonder is the Trump campaign going to start coming after Nikki Haley uh, the way he's been trying to go after one Ron DeSantis from Florida, who's not officially in the race yet? Uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see, what we? Also, another kind of interesting and somewhat kind of odd story. Uh, we have been told throughout the majority of the day today that Diane Feinstein has officially, officially acknowledged that she would not be seeking re-election. But then a funny thing happened, and you're probably going to hear a lot of folks talking about this one, but it is kind of odd, and I thought it was worth mentioning it too, because you see... Senator Dianne Feinstein, who by all reports is really starting to slip mentally as well. Not quite to the Biden level, but according to some uh, sources, maybe even worse than the Biden level. But Dianne Feinstein was responding to questions today from reporters about her announced retirement. And uh, she kind of suggested that she didn't know that her staff had published the statement. Uh, Quote, I am announcing today I will not run for re-election in 2024, but intend to accomplish as much for California as I can through the end of next year when my term ends. Even with a divided Congress, we can still pass bills that will improve lives. This was the statement on Feinstein's Twitter account. Now, naturally... Most politicians actually have a staff member running their social media accounts, So it's not only likely, it's highly probable that she had nothing to do with crafting that particular tweet. And if that's the case, so be it. It's understandable she might not have known that happened. But then again, given all the reports of her current metal status, it's entirely possible, too, that they may have discussed it. And the staff may very well have thought that they had the green light. And maybe she was thinking they left it at a point where they were preparing to make the announcement, but they haven't decided yet. I can see all those things happening. Lots of reasons why Diane might not recognize that that this statement had been made. Anyway, the statement did continue, and I'm going to read the rest of it just because... Well, I want to make sure you know exactly what all was in the statement, because I doubt very many people are focusing on that. Anyway, she continued with the statement saying that each of us was sent here to solve problems. Now, I'm just going to opine here a bit. That much technically may be the nature of the job as it's supposed to be. That might actually be the intent of some of the voters. But when was the last time that actually happened? I mean, that that is an acknowledgement that that kind of is the job description. But when was the last time any of these people, regardless of what letters at the end of their name, approached the job of being a United States senator as being a problem solver? I mean, they like to talk like that. what they're planning and what they're trying and what they're, but we know that's not what they actually do. Anyway, back to the statement. Uh, Each of us. Sent here to solve problems. That's what I've done for the last 30 years. And that's what I plan to do for the next two years. My thanks to the people of California for allowing me to serve them. Okay, so that was the statement. When asked about her decision to retire, well then, Senator Feinstein appeared to be confused by the question. She said... I haven't made that decision. I haven't released anything. One of her staffers didn't kind of come over and you could hear her saying that they had put out the statement. Diane's response to that was a question. You put out the statement? And then she turns to the reporter's. I didn't know they put out the statement. (laughs) I didn't know they put it out. Okay. And then she told reporters, it is what it is. I think the time's come. So we already knew that several Democratic candidates were running, and it seems like a few more folks are going to, to run for that same seat. We've got Adam Schiff, who thinks that it's time to move from the House over to the Senate. Uh, You got Katie Porter. Uh, These are two folks that are officially already announced to be running for the seat. Uh, It's as if they knew for a fact. Of course, the rumors were going around that Diana's probably not going to run again. If you've seen her recently, uh, she certainly does look like her health is declining. And, And I don't say that to be mean. I'm not trying to be hurtful. I, as far as Democrats in the Senate are concerned, uh, I have plenty of things to be upset with Diane Feinstein about, but she is far from the worst among them. So, yeah, I would much prefer her to stay and some of the other folks to go. Uh, if It came right down to it. But uh, I, I'm not going to miss Diane. But if somebody like Adam Schiff ends up being uh, her replacement, then I probably will end up missing her uh, a lot. And something tells me that the people that actually live out in California will feel the same way about it. Here's hoping you guys actually get smart and decide to elect a Republican. I know it's a scary thought, right? Republicans in California? Ooh, I didn't know they existed. Uh, Ronald Reagan. Uh, that's all I got to say about that. All right. Before we shift over to the next topic for today's uh, fabulous show, I want to remind you that uh, you can show some support for the show by showing some love for today's sponsor, and that of course is for Patriots.com. Uh, if you've been over to Four Patriots before, you know they've got a whole lot of preparation-type things. Uh, emergency food supplies, uh, water purification, heirloom seeds, uh, emergency flashlights, a lot of solar-powered stuff. A lot of great stuff, period. But what they would like for me to tell you about right now, because because they're running a special right now, they want you to know about the tragedy of a man that we'll call Craig. See, Craig was a good husband, he was a good father, he was a good provider, he was a good protector. But Craig was not exactly an expert on uh, emergency backup electricity. He knew several of his neighbors had bought uh, generators. Seemed like a pretty good idea, right? Well, Craig, facing down Hurricane Ida, bought a gas generator, and he fired it up. Had it connected, he had it a little too close to the house. He didn't realize the inherent danger of not having proper ventilation. And Craig, being a good defender of his family... But not having a fundamental understanding of this particular technology turned his good behavior into a very tragic result. Because while Craig survived, the next morning he discovered that his family had, not he lost his wife, he lost his two kids. It. It's a horrific thing when you're talking about carbon monoxide poisoning. I mean, unless you have uh, the detectors in place, it gets very dangerous. The sad part? Craig's not alone. This happens to people every year. You have hundreds, if not thousands, of Americans that suffered the result of mild to severe carbon monoxide poisoning. Not just because of gas-powered generators, but it is one of the bigger causes through the years. Two children and his wife in their sleep bag. What's even worse... Now, we talked about the sad part. What's even worse... Craig's strategy, it didn't have to happen at all. And the reason it didn't have to happen is thanks to new generations of portable, safe, silent, and uh, hang on to this part because it's important, 100% fume-free generators. These are generators that are now available to all Americans, even for those of you out there who think that you might not be able to afford it. We're talking about the Patriot Power Generator 1800. It's a solar generator that doesn't use gas, so it doesn't have fumes. And instead of being loud, it's as quiet as a laptop. Plus, it's lightweight, so you can take it with you wherever you want to go. So if you're heading out to a camping trip, take the power, uh, take the Patriot Power Generator with you. Uh, need to bug out in a hurry because of uh, a tornado in uh, the area? Take it with you. Uh, Just decide that maybe you want to keep it with you just in case. Then load it up and take it with you. It's fine. You can actually, again, no fumes, you can use it inside. Don't have a long enough power cord to run it from where the solar powers are hooked up to the generator itself, to, to what you're plugging the generator into. To bring it inside. It's powerful enough that you can keep your phones, your emergency radios, your medical devices, whatever you may need. You can keep it plugged up, keep it charged, keep it running for hours. You can even use it to keep your refrigerator going. And right now, right now, you can go over to 4patriots.com and use code Tap. That's T A P P. Uh, use all caps to get a 10% discount off your first purchase on anything in the store, including the Patriot Power Generator. Just go to Four Patriots. That's the number Four Patriots dot com, and use code TAP T A P P to get 10% off. That's Four Patriots dot com. Use code. Tap T-A-P-P to get yours today. Now, let's continue, shall we? There's this really strange story that I saw, and part of it makes perfect sense, and part of it kind of aggravates the bejesus out of me. So this is one where I'm going to ask you what you think. But here's the headline before we dive too far into the story. The SBA won't even try to collect on PPP loans that are supposed to be paid back. Because, wait for it, wait for it, oh, you already know, equity. Yeah. Okay, so the federal government will not even attempt to recover some coronavirus-related loans that didn't meet the conditions for forgiveness in what could amount to the greenlighting of theft from the uh, $800 billion program. Uh, The reason why I say it could result in greenlighting of theft is because if they don't go in here and pursue trying to collect the loans that didn't qualify for forgiveness, there's going to be even more of the known fraud that occurred here that will not be discovered. Beyond that, technically, if you didn't qualify and you don't pay it back, you know, if you didn't qualify for the forgiveness and you don't pay it back, then that's theft too. So it becomes fraud even if it wasn't fraudulent at the beginning. Okay, so the Small Business Administration, which of course administered the pandemic aid Paycheck Protection Program, that's why we call it PPP, it said that it will not seek to collect on loans that should have been paid back. But were not. As long as the amount is... Tell me me what you think about this stuff. As long as the amount is $100,000 or less. The vast majority of the 12 million loans given out Back in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, they were almost all under a hundred thousand dollars. It really has me questioning why am I not a more uh, a less honorable person because I, I could have applied for a I don't know, a seventy five thousand dollar loan for my huge business of capping to the truth media incorporated, which I could have totally, I could have incorporated, I suppose it, and, and actually made it legitimate and, and pretended to have a few more employees uh, counting everybody that's ever helped produce a piece or helped promote a piece, uh, <laughs> helped me to make a, a connection, uh, and even count all the guests technically, if I suppose if they're not checking too closely, technically that still would be fraudulent, but yeah, they still have to look at it and prove it, right? And clearly, as long as I didn't apply for one hundred thousand and one dollar, you know we're playing prices rights rules here then I would still be in the clear. This is insane. Anyway, the agency's inspector general, which, of course, is the person tasked with policing the waste, the fraud, and abuse, well, they sounded the alarm at the SBA's decision, saying its logic does not add up, and it should suspend the decision. So at least the inspector general at the SBA is saying, hey guys, bump the brakes. This is not the way to do business. We gave these loans. We used money. We provided it to people. But the nasty little secret that the average American citizen still doesn't think about often enough, the federal government SBA included, has no money of their own. They take it from tax-paying citizens. And in return, we expect them to, I don't know why we still expect this, but generally speaking, they're supposed to be good stewards of our tax dollars. Clearly, this kind of decision would not be being a good steward. It's a violation of the fiduciary responsibilities that these people have to the American taxpaying public. Something they scoff at these days. I mean, we're in the age of stakeholder capital, not stockholder capital. Anyway, quoting here from the IG, a piece that they wrote in response, SBA ending collections on PPP loans valued at $100,000 or less is not in compliance with applicable criteria. SBA is potentially increasing the taxpayer burden by missing the opportunity to collect on these delinquent PPP loans. Now, I like how even in this statement, when they're trying to get people riled up, the inspector general is still using words like potentially. We're going to potentially increase the taxpayer. You are definitely increasing the taxpayer burden because any taxpayer dollars that do not get wasted in one program can be used in another program without requiring more taxpayer dollars to be garnered from someplace in order to continue to finance it. Again, they have no money of their own. They have to come take it from us. And even if you're somebody who thinks you don't pay federal taxes, I promise you, they're still getting a chunk of your money, one way or another. Anyway. It's said that by openly allowing Americans to keep huge sums of money that they are not entitled to, that's an important part of the equation too, the federal government is encouraging future fraud against the government. I think not only is that a correct statement, but I also think, based on the fact that we already know about a whole lot of fraud that occurred, that this is kind of another way to show... Well, another way to try to not show how ridiculously reckless they were with the PPP program in the first place because they are still trying to cover up a whole lot of fraud we don't already know about. It's not just about the future fraud. It's about the current fraud. Anyway, back to quoting from uh, the writing. Ending collections could set the precedence for future stimulus programs and incentivize ineligible borrowers to obtain loans valued at $100,000 or less. However, continuing to pursue collections will help ensure accountability from delinquent borrowers and promote program integrity. See, again, here's where the IG's messing up. They're trying to talk common sense. They're trying to talk fiscal responsibility. They're trying to discuss a program uh, working the way it's supposed to. He even used the word integrity in relationship to a program being overseen and operated by politicians. I I know. It seems like this is almost a joke, right? Can't possibly mean this. He actually used the word integrity. It can't mean. But everything that's being said here is absolutely true. Most of the loans were forgivable. Which of course means that they essentially converted into a grant. Which is the way the program was designed. If you met certain criteria, the loans became grants. If you didn't meet the criteria, you were by the terms of the loans, supposed to pay it back like you would with any other loan. The terms of the PPP program was pretty straightforward. And actually, as long as you were honest in your application, they were fairly easy to meet, especially if you actually made it all the way through to the full reopening. Granted, It wasn't required for you to do that. Uh, Also, But you had to show that you made a really good effort at it. So, again, the overwhelming majority of the loans that were given up were, in fact, forgivable. Many of them have been. But if recipients did not meet certain conditions, the money was due to be paid back. However, the SBA is essentially... Just letting them keep it at this point. One million borrowers with loans totaling 17 billion United States taxpayer dollars have not sought forgiveness for the loans under $100,000. SBA made a decision to formally end collections on purchased PPP loans with an outstanding balance of $100,000 or less. SBA's rationale for this decision was to provide equitable treatment between smaller sole proprietor borrowers, not protected by an incorporation shield and larger incorporated borrowers. Okay, This is still part of quoting from the IGs in the, the written statement. This is all part of the alert that the IG sent out questioning the decision. Continues, therefore, borrowers that have a purchased PPP loan with an outstanding balance of $100,000 or less would not be referred to the U.S. Department of the Treasury for collections or other collection measures the law allows agencies to not try to collect money that's owed to them only if the cost of recovering the money would exceed the amount of the money itself. The SBA claimed that in this particular case, but the IG, the IG said that's doubtful. And that the SBA didn't even run the number. So that seems both totally believable, but horribly short sighted. I'll go with short sighted. We'll pretend like that's the right word. Because by saying short sighted, I'm actually trying to offer them up the benefit of the doubt, which by now, I should know better than to even do. They they no longer deserve it. But sometimes, just to make the point as, as sharply as we should, we ought to offer up the benefit of the doubt and use their language and pretend that even if we play along with their game, show that how it still falls short. And that's kind of where we're going with this. So the IG doesn't think they even ran the numbers, but is definitely convinced that at least a majority of these loans that they're prepared to forgive do not fall under the category, even though the Small Business Administration says that's the reason they're going to drop it. We're allowed not to not to collect the money if it's going to cost us more to get it uh, than what it actually there. If I owed them 15 bucks, I could believe that uh, they should probably just let that go. Because knowing how government employees are paid, it would probably cost them more than the 15 bucks to have somebody give me a call saying, hey, I need you to send me 15 bucks, or to have them type up, I'm assuming they're still typing and obviously using computers and printers these days. Type up an email or type up an actual letter to send to me. And then you're talking about postage, too. It doesn't take long for that small of amount. But at $100,000, what about at $50,000? What about at just twenty, ten thousand $10,000? There's a lot of room there where it seems really difficult to believe that it would cost more to collect it than what's owed. Just throwing that out there. So, the SBA purchased these PPP loans because the lender identified that the borrowers were 60 days or more past due on scheduled loan payments. I remember the original program, you had to go through certain banks that were operating these. And then the banks that had no issues with them uh, held them. Uh, The ones that were having trouble, uh, 60 days or more past due on payments, uh, they sold them off to the Small Business Administration. Uh, This presumably because they were going to have uh, whatever backing from the Treasury Department that was necessary if it persisted. So the SBA buys these loans that were 60 days or more past due on scheduled loan payments. The SBA did not purchase collections on these loans. They didn't pursue collections, I should say. Instead, the SBA charged off these loans and made no referral to Treasury. Uh, certainly without conducting a sufficient cost-benefit analysis to support ending the collections. So they just want to write this off as a tax law. However, how does the Small Business Administration get to do that? I mean, the whole thing is sounding pretty scammy, pretty fishy, and pretty much an effort to continue to hide the grift. That's where I keep coming back to with it. Moreover, by referring the loans to the Treasury in accordance with normal procedures, yeah, just just throw that out there, the government has ways of easily recovering money at little cost, including withholding it from future tax refunds. It also puts their name on a list to prevent them from taking advantage of other government programs. The government can make life miserable for folks when they really want to. Now, I'm not recommending that be the case, but if somebody is out there defrauding us out of our taxpayer dollars, uh, and the government's not going to do their due diligence, and they're not going to pursue, I don't know, just basic fiduciary responsibilities with those taxpayer dollars, then come on if you took out this loan which you knew there were standards to have to qualify for and you failed to qualify and then you're just not going to pay it well then I'm sorry but that's not right okay SBA did not give up on trying to claw back money that Americans weren't entitled to because it was fruitless. It never even tried. We didn't find any evidence that the SBA made any attempts at all to collect on the purchased PPP loans that are in question here. At the onset of the SBA B.A. Purchasing the PPP loans, which started back in July of 2021, it decided not to pursue debt collections for the purchase loans even then. Why are we just now finding out about it? Well, because obviously they wanted to keep this quiet. These PPP loans were doled out by banks, but the government was required to purchase the loans if there were any problems. Government investigators found that many financial institutions had a caviar attitude as a result. So, uh, taking a hands-off appro- approach to all the fraud, because the more loans they processed, the more money they made. And when loans were approved despite being ineligible, it was the taxpayers, not the bank, who would end up eating the cost. banks are supposed to make an initial effort at collecting money before selling the loan to the government. But SBA didn't even require banks to show evidence that they had made an attempt. The Debt Collection Improvement Act also allows agencies to suspend collections if the person has no ability to pay. But, again, SBA never investigated that. And some of the money may, and I like, again, we're still using words like may, may have gone to significantly well-off people, as in people who probably didn't need the loans anyway. But smart, rich people, uh, they stay rich by spending other people's money and hopefully make a profit off of it. You know, I I don't begrudge that. But again, if they're particularly well-off, then they can afford to pay the loan back, right? Uh, Isn't it the SBA's responsibility to at least check that, to verify that, to make sure? Or, again, is that just me? SBA stated in its analysis that the decision to end collections was to ensure equitable treatment between smaller sole propriety, uh, proprietor borrowers and larger incorporated borrowers. The SBA stated that if they pursued collections, the individuals associated with the generally larger incorporated borrowers would suffer nothing, whereas the individual sole proprietors not protected by the incorporation shield would incur collection efforts that the larger incorporated borrowers would avoid but you see the sba's analysis didn't support the equitable treatment as it didn't didn't provide any specific data on the breakdown of individuals and corporate borrowers and it didn't bother to show any quantitative assessment of effect to each type of borrower, it didn't do any of the things to back up those statements. They're just expecting you to buy into their story. And I keep coming back around to the fact that PPP loans were made available, and there were several cases that I'm aware of of banks that were very aggressive at trying to get people to take them, but nobody was physically capable of forcing you to take one of these loans. So if you're a small individual, proprietor, business, and you took out one of these loans, you still had people walking you through and helping you to understand what you were getting into. And if the people that were supposed to be helping you walk through the process weren't fully and adequately explaining it to you, there were still plenty of other resources. And I'm sorry, but if you've been in business for more than 10 minutes, you start to see, presuming you're smart enough to learn from your past and especially from your mistakes, you start to see a pattern and you start to recognize when you yourself need to spend a little more time researching before you just jump on a bandwagon. So I'm sorry, I have a hard time believing that anybody that took out these loans didn't have a pretty good idea of exactly what it was they were signing up for. In the response to the IG and this alert, this alarm that uh, they've written and put out there, well, the Small Business Administration said that it did not intend to reverse its decision. It defended itself by saying that it wasn't worth recovering money because it was a very poor record of doing so in one similar program, recording only 0.28% of the amount it was owed. And it asserted that Office of Management and Budget recommendations did not legally apply to it. Not real sure how accurate that statement is. Earlier this month, the Government Accountability Office, Government Accountability Office, said in a uh, rather searing, comprehensive report that large portions of the four trillion dollar coronavirus stimulus program were married, not married, but were marred by federal agencies seeming indifference to fraud, including a minimum of $60 billion in fraudulent unemployment insurance claims. They didn't care. It was a thing that was happening. They know it's been proven. Uh, One of the bigger fraudulent stories that uh, was making the Circles in all the conservative uh, venues and even some of the more liberal news outlets were talking about it or some of these uh, daycare or child care groups where they just bought a list of kids' names. And the only reason they got caught eventually is because they kept recycling some of the names but would give different ages and addresses but still have the same uh, – associated social security numbers and things of that nature. Look, this is clearly a thing that's been ongoing, a thing that's been happening, and clearly not a thing that they really seem to want to fix. They don't seem to care much about it. What do we do next? How do we deal with this? Well, truthfully, there's not much we can do other than call up our... Elected officials. And give them what for. Make sure they know how we feel about it. Because. The small business administration. Just like any other. Operational appendage. Of our federal government. They are still accountable. And they need to be held. Accountable. Because we are talking about. Federal. Taxpayer dollars. We're talking about. Your money, my money, a lot of us probably had one of the worst refund years uh, that we can remember as far as our taxpayer dollars we're, were in that cycle. Some of you may have already gotten your stuff back. Uh, if if you're somebody who's accustomed to paying in when it's all said and done, you probably had to pay more than you've had to pay in a long time. If you're somebody that's accustomed to getting back more than what you pay in, then yeah, I get why you do it, but please, you, you're you're not doing the rest of the country a favor. But you probably didn't get back near as much as you normally do either. Uh, a lot of us saw a major change this particular go-around, and it's further exacerbated by the fact that inflation is still higher than they're admitting, and they can deny it all they want to, but you feel it. Every time you go to the gas pump, Uh, Sure, prices may have come down a bit here recently from the highs under Biden, but they're still much more expensive than they were before Joe Biden took office. You're definitely feeling it when you go to the grocery store. I was hearing today that, oh, well, groceries are about 8% higher, and if you dine out, it's about 8% higher. I would love to go someplace that is only 8% higher than before Joe Biden took office, because it's much higher than that around here. And I'm pretty sure, based on conversations I'm having, that's the case over the majority of the country. They've got no right to waste our money, and until we hold them accountable, it's not going to change. They need to know that we're paying attention. The fact that they are starting to hit More and more folks that can't afford to pay much in the way of taxes. It's actually a good thing. Because when you have to pay the end taxes, when you do not get back everything you put in, when you do not get back anything, these are the times where you're taking a long, hard look and suddenly you've got skin in the game. You start caring more about what the government's actually doing with our cash. You start caring more about the fact that Social Security is headed for disaster. You start caring more about the fact that Social Security was supposed to be a lockbox. We were promised it was a lockbox. A lot of people believe the story that, well, it worked like a lockbox for a little while, and then eventually they got into it. But the truth of the matter is, and this has been documented at this point, it was never in that lockbox. It was always a slush fund for buying more votes from the get-go period. They've been doing it a long time. It's the worst Ponzi scheme in America, and it's destined to fail if they don't make some changes soon. But every time somebody like me talks about addressing and trying to reform it, they start accusing me of saying that I want to do away with it. Now, to be completely 100% honest, they probably should. They should not be handling any of my money that they have no legal right to just because they don't think I'm capable of investing it myself. Which is the whole premise behind Social Security in the first place. We're going to keep this money and yeah, because you can't be trusted with it. It's not even tax. It's just more of our money that they claim that they're going to hold on to because we can't save or invest and be prepared for our retirement and they've not done a good job of it either they ought to pay everybody back and this is the only situation where i'm okay with them borrowing money to to meet a financial obligation pay everybody back every penny that they're owed currently on it And then do away with the program. That would be one of the best things that could happen in the country to everyone. If you also coupled that with teaching people how to save their money and how to invest it. That's an important thing too. Lots of folks are being taken in the other direction. They're being dumbed down more and more every freaking year. Uh, definitely can't have people capable of critical thinking, then they won't understand that half of our policy stances are juxtapositions uh, within a couple of sentences. No, no, no. We don't even want them knowing the word juxtaposition. It's a scary thing. When people start using that word, it sounds like they know that we're up to no good. How can you possibly say this is a thing that is true and that this is a thing that is true when the two things are the opposite of each other and can't possibly both be true at once? How does the left get away with that? And conservatives can barely even get away with telling the truth, but because they are maybe a little inarticulate in telling that truth or possibly as I'm often guilty of, maybe exaggerate a little bit in the effort to make the point, and then we just get accused of spreading misinformation and uh, ice-missing context, when clearly I'm speaking in either hyperbole or I'm using sarcasm, perhaps even full-blown satire, to make a point. They do it, not nearly as well as most conservatives, but they do it, and Everything's hunky-dory. We should have realized that from the beginning. A conservative does it, and they're lying! Uh, yeah, somebody's lying in that equation. It's not the conservatives. now. All right, we got some other stories to get to in the second hour, so we will definitely be doing that. Got a, a few more minutes here before the... The transition into the second hour should occur, so let me take a moment to uh ask you guys to come visit to tap into the truth community over at locals dot com uh, sign up and become a member of the community. Uh, we are still running pretty low numbers on there, and so i'm I still do share things that I uh, will not post on other social media platforms over there. As an encouragement, I have one supporter-only video content over there that's pretty well dated at this point. I will do more engagement as soon as the numbers support the need to. I would love to actually start doing a meet-and-greet type thing with supporter-level folks uh, after the Friday Night Live show. We may be doing that, opening up an extra hour or just kind of I'll uh, do like a live stream thing and let you guys communicate, what have you. Uh, we'll definitely be doing something akin to that with the uh, chat discussion over at MeWe uh, for the next little bit. Uh, we're just looking to get confirmation of at least a, two or three folks that want to hang out to do that. So if you're interested at all in that, go over to MeWe.com, uh get on that platform and then track down the Last Frequency uh, group. And from there, uh, come hang out with us uh, during the show, and then you can be part of the after show. That's a pretty pretty good deal. We'll do that uh, probably at least a couple of times, I would imagine. Uh, It depends on how much interest and interaction there is. But uh, definitely want to get more involvement with you, the listening audience. So. You're you're welcome to come do that. I think we're actually looking to do that this Friday. I hope you'll join us. Uh, if not, though, we will definitely be doing it at uh, some point in the next few Fridays. Okay, so with that being said, I think we will go ahead and transition uh, into the next hour from here. Do that by playing a little tunage. And, uh, you know, I realize... Didn't really take a mid-hour break, so didn't get very much in the way of some of this uh, stuff here. So I had better, I had better get uh, an Edwards notebook in here, and at the very least, a constitutional grounds ad. Uh, that seems like I ought to at least do that. So let's start with the ad. Uh, don't go anywhere after this. We will start hour number two.
2: Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Many Americans are continuing to leave high tax states like New York and moving to lower tax states like Florida and Ohio. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. As sovereign Americans stream out of California and all high-tax states, I find it alarming that the Biden administration and other extreme leftists like Chucky Schumer are all proposing to raise taxes on wealthy, productive Americans, which is basically increasing the already high degree of punishment against those who succeed in society. Even more egregious is the Biden plot to slap a 3.8% income tax increase on the earnings of small businesses. Already, at least 45% of small businesses have been shuttered due to the fake science-based lockdown during the Corona China virus scandemic. Some economists have predicted that up to 65% of all small businesses may shut down unless there is a quick reversal of Biden's already enacted oppressive regulations and executive orders. If the Democrat socialist pigs have their way, Americans who want a better life may soon immigrate to less oppressive nations. I'm... Run it, which brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee.
0: She was from a blue state clan, taught to praise the little man, told that union saved the working class. He was raised a red state son To love the flag and own a gun Warned about the greed within the mass They met beneath the moonlit sky A college party drunk and high And when they had degrees they said their vows He couldn't say when He couldn't say how He couldn't say why She was different in his eyes They built careers and had a kid Tried to live like their parents did But both their parties taxed them close to death They learned to hate the public schools Watch TV making fools While trial lawyers looted what was left She couldn't say when She couldn't say how She couldn't say why He was different in her eyes Saw them years ago a Happy little cabin in the west They homeschooled on their farm Making so much more from so much less
1: Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to hour number two of tonight's broadcast of Tap Into the Truth. Glad to have you along for the ride. That, of course, was Mr. Matt Fitzgibbons with Different in Your Eyes. And played the whole thing, because we don't often get to play the whole thing. Uh, just a few of a lot of great tunes that uh, Matt does. And uh, let me encourage you to, whenever you get the chance, go visit PatriotMusic.com and uh, check out all of his stuff, Just, he's a great historian. He's a fantastic musician. And he's been a pretty good friend to the show, too. Uh, Gave full permissions to uh, rights to use uh, his tunes, uh, well, uh, up until a certain time. And uh, I'm just digging the fact that uh, he's cool with us using it. And uh, he reached out to me the other day. And he, uh, it's been a, a little while back now like I got to, to listening to a recent broadcast of yours. I hadn't actually tuned in in a while, and and I heard you playing my song, and I'm like, I forgot that I had even giving the, the permission. I would have thought you had moved on by now and changed it, but I've got to be free, and using both hands are so iconic for conservative values. I, I can't... I just can't move past them. I know you're supposed to refresh and do all this stuff every so often. And and I get it. I understand. It makes sense. But those tunes are so great. And there's still new people that tune in every day. For as long as I've been doing this show, it's still amazing to me that there are still brand new folks coming on board and they've never heard the song before, so part of me uses that as the, the excuse to not change it up. But at the end of the day, I just love those songs. So uh, check out patriotmusic.com whenever you get a chance. And if you've already been there, but it's been a minute, uh, go on back and recheck it, because he's working on new projects, doing great stuff. Uh, before we get back to the main uh, purpose of the show, because we've got a few more topics we got to get to, Want to spend a moment to remind you one more time to go visit the fine folks at 4patriot.com. Again, they want me to tell you about Craig's story, but I got to tell you, you probably know somebody that had the same kind of thing happen to them. They went out, they bought a gas powered generator, and either something didn't go quite right or maybe they didn't follow the safety instructions well enough there wasn't enough ventilation regardless of what may have happened there going out and doing the right thing to try to get your family through an emergency the likes of which where your power is going to be down for days not just minutes or hours you you went you got that and it goes from being you being the hero to a tragedy in your family. There's a really good chance that some of you may even know somebody that's had this happen to them, and hopefully not to the extent that they lost family members, but even mild carbon monoxide poisoning can have some long-term health effects. So the best way to avoid that, but to be prepared for the electric power grid going down short-term, long-term, Get yourself a solar power generator. In this case, we're talking about over at 4patriots.com, the Patriot Power Generator, and uh, the, the... Now I'm getting tongue-tied. All that PPP talk earlier. The Patriot Power Generator 1800 is the brand new one that's uh, readily available. Uh, follow the link that'll be in the show description. It will take you to a page that will show you all the extra stuff they've got going on. But the most important thing for you to remember is that this is part of a new generation of portable, safe, silent, and 100% fume-free generators. These generators that are available now to all Americans, even those of you who maybe think that you can't afford to get one. The Patriot Power Generator is a solar generator. It doesn't use gas, so it doesn't have fumes. And it is lightweight. You can pick it up. You can take it with you on the go. It's powerful enough to keep your phones and emergency radios charged, keep your medical devices working, and if it comes right down to it, keep that refrigerator going. Right now, you can go visit 4patriot.com. That's the number 4 Patriots.com, make sure you add the S at the end, for Patriots.com, and use the code TAP to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, including the Patriot Power Generator. That's the Patriot Power Generator 1800. It's the push. It's a great product. In fact, we were looking at it the other day, me and my wife, and she was like, I want one, I want one. Said, so you sure you're doing just one? She's like, okay, well, we can get more. I'm like, that was probably the easiest sale I've ever made. <laughs> so go visit right now. Get yourself on over to fourpatriots.com. Use promo code TAP, T A P P. Make it all caps. Get your 10% off that order and do it today. Do not waste any more time. Uh, trust me. You always think about how you wish you had done it when the power goes out and you haven't. Don't procrastinate. Be prepared. Be ready. And uh, don't risk carbon monoxide poisoning. Okay. Ready? Have you bought one yet? Have you? Okay. <laughs> Just remember, check it. 4 Use promo code TAP. T-A-P-P. Now, let's get back to the show. One of Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg's main objectives is to push equity. You're like, wait, wait, I I thought you said he was Transportation Secretary. You've been watching what he's been doing. You know what I'm saying. He's literally been trying to push equity into every facet of his department's actions and policies. He received those marching orders from Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. himself. Yes, barely there, Beijing Biden said, you like choo choos. I like choo choos. you be transportation secretary. Right, that's actually how the whole thing went. Of course, there was also the fact that he happens to be Gay, So he checked one of the intersectionality boxes, obviously not qualified to be transportation secretary. Remember, when he was running for president against Joe during the Democratic primary, the biggest political job Mayor Pete had was being the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Now, if you've ever traveled through South Bend, beautiful place, especially if you're checking out the Notre Dame campus, which is about the only reason anybody from my neck of the woods has to, to go through that neck of the woods. Uh, University of Tennessee's had a couple of really nice uh, winds up there. Uh, it's been a while, but they were really nice when they happened, so it sticks to the memory. But see, the thing is, if you've ever been through there, especially when Mayor Pete was mayor the roads were not in very good shape. And this is coming from a guy who travels a lot of territory where the roads are not in very good shape. It was notable that it's worse than the average. Transportation secretary should be someone who's really good at keeping transportation going. He couldn't keep the potholes filled in a mid sized Middle America city and by some accounts I'm probably being generous in calling it mid And I don't mean that as a a crack. I don't. I come from small-town America. I love small town. If if most of America lived small town, we wouldn't have a lot of the issues you see in the urban areas. But anyway, Joe Biden signed an executive order on day 1 in his office mandating that the whole of the federal government will be used to advance racial equity. And they took it to heart, and that's why we've heard great stories and exaggerations about how racist bridges are and how racist an overpass in a certain area is. Because this is how they divided the town. Uh, We wanted to keep all all the certain colored folks on one side and the the certain other colored folks uh, on the, the different side, and they they didn't get to mingle because cause that was there and in the way and kept them apart. And of course, clearly they had no idea that the technology existed for people to, you know, find a way to get across. Anyway. Something tells me that that particular executive order and all the ridiculous statements we've heard come out of Buttigieg himself and his department, otherwise is a big reason why it at least seems like, and here i'm going to be polite, it at least seems like Buttigieg is a bit slow to address actual safety issues that you know might actually matter to the average American safety hazards like. I don't know. Uh, let me just randomly pick something out of a hat here. Uh, say train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. Uh, don't know why that one comes to mind, but th- just just saying. It's because he is in fact the safety first portion of the Department of Transportation's website. Uh, that hasn't been updated since, well, since May of 2020. That's what kind of speaks volumes about how much the president's administration actually cares about preserving the American public safety, actually preventing harm to America, actual physical harm. How do we go about doing the job of making transportation? safe for all Americans. Well, no, no, no. We're more worried about making sure that we rename a bridge because it's clearly racist or we take down an overpass because, you know, flow through traffic or or we move a building from one side of the street to another because of, you know, we'll come up with an excuse later. All of the insanity that goes with trying to, to determine racial motivations in situations where there may be one or two cases that you can point out that is hard to to find any other explanation for, but most of the examples they use typically not only can be easily debunked, but already have been, but nobody on the left cares to hear it, so they ignore it, pretend like it hasn't happened. When you have their focus on making sure that the federal government uses the might and power that they possess to redistribute tax dollars towards underserved communities and make sure that agencies use hiring practices that focus not on merit, but on skin color and other immutable traits, uh, things that have nothing to do one way or the other on Whether something's a good idea or a bad idea, if someone's capable or not capable, you know, how dare I? I'm using merit as a basis to try to make decisions. Uh, That's so white supremacist of me. This past Monday, Buttigieg made it a point to address the racial makeup of construction workers before even addressing the situation in East Palestine. While the National Association of Counties Conference, he he was at this National Associated Meeting, Budgets bemoaned, whined, quote, We have heard way too many stories from generations past of infrastructure where you got a neighborhood often a neighborhood of color, that finally sees the project come to them. But everyone in the hard hats on that project, doing the the good-paying jobs, don't look like they came anywhere near that neighborhood. Don't look like they came from anywhere near that neighborhood. I have to pause there. It's not for dramatic effect. It's because of the insanity level of a statement like that. Now, we want this project to come to our neighborhood. We need this project to come to our neighborhood. Why doesn't it look like it's, you know, not white people that's doing the jobs? I mean, I would think And maybe, again, this is my white supremacy uh, showing. I don't know. (coughs) Excuse me. What does it matter if the person wielding a jackhammer is black, brown, yellow, or white? I mean, what does it matter? Does it? Should it? I don't think it does. What should matter is that he has the competency to not hurt himself or his co-workers or the public. Can you safely use that jackhammer? Can you efficiently use that jackhammer? Can you use the tool in the way it's meant to be used in an efficient way that is both effective and safe? That could be a black man. That could be a brown woman. It could be a yellow person of either gender. It could be. Especially if they have a lot of experience with it, if they've learned it, if they know how to use the tool, if they have the training, if they have the know-how, if they are competent, it doesn't matter what color it is. The hiring practice for the person doing that job should be based on, are you the best person to use this piece of equipment? Well, that, of course, according to Pete Buttigieg and every other leftist on the planet, that's just racism. Racism. How dare you expect competency? Man, that kind of seems like anti-government rhetoric to me, now that I say it out loud. How dare you not be competent? How dare you expect competence? Anyway, to the Democrats, at least the current iteration of the Democratic Party at the national level, it matters a whole lot. In fact... Equity, in the way they choose to use it now, not the way the word's actually meant to be used, but the way they want to use it now, equity is one of the Department of Transportation's four main priorities, according to the website. Climate and Sustainability, Equity, Safety, and Transformation. You know, and I was really hoping I was misreading that, or maybe they had misspelled it, because it is the Department of Transportation. Shouldn't transportation be part of it? I mean, safety definitely should be. We know it's not. We know they do not really care. We've seen how they've been dealing with transportation. We know the current Secretary of Transportation was gone on, (laughs) was gone on, Family medical leave to be with the adopted child, and nobody even missed him. He was gone for weeks. Nobody even said, like, "Oh, where's Mayor Pete?" Sh- sh- you can't call him Mayor Pete anymore. He's the Secretary of Transportation. Him, him, and the the old guy in the White House. They go play choo choos every Thursday, and. <laughs> He's never here, so we get to do whatever we want. We're playing solitaire uh, over here, and Jeffrey over there is playing uh, I it's, it's just life is good here in the department as long as there's not any actual oversight. Well, what about the bad stuff that's happening? Uh, I, don't worry about it. The media doesn't hold Democrats accountable. We'll be fine. Anyway, as already mentioned, the department's Safety First website still touts the goals of Secretary Cho. You know, Elaine Cho, who was running the show for Donald Trump? See, that sort of speaks for itself, when you think about it. Definitely speaks for itself as about as far as where Pete Buttigieg's priorities are, especially considering that one of the actual Biden administration uh, priorities was to undo everything Trump. They care so little about your public safety, especially when it comes to transportation and safety, that they didn't even make a priority in that aspect. Well, this is part of the Trump administration, so. Yeah, that's fine. We'll leave it be. We'll get around to changing that later. Nah, I gotta go play choo-choo's with the president. Leave me alone. Meanwhile, over at the Equity Lab, they're proudly proclaiming, quote, for the first time, DOT has centered equity as a department-wide strategic goal. This is a critical step to institutionalizing equity across the department's policies and programs with the aim of reducing inequities across our transportation systems and the communities they affect. Now, for a second, I would have forgiven you if you thought I was reading some type of satire. But no, that's actually, that you can go see it for yourself if you're into self-punishment and are so inclined. It's, but it's just me, or does that kind of feel like under the Barack Hussein Alu akbar Obama administration when one of NASA's primary strategic goals was Muslim outreach? It's square-peg-round-hole kind of thing. This is not the job of the Department of Transportation. But we're going to make it, and we have to do it everywhere. But why? If you're just actually serious, and if you're just actually living the virtue instead of just signaling it everywhere, doesn't that kind of take care of itself? If you are honestly committed to letting the best people for the job do the job, If those best people happen to be black, brown, or yellow, doesn't that happen on its own? Doesn't it take care of itself? Well, no, Tim, because you're forgetting all the systemic racism that's built in, all the white supremacy that exists in the system as a whole. Uh, you, You need to go read White Fragility again, too, Tim, because you're starting to sound a little defensive about it while you're talking. Of course I'm starting to sound defensive, because I'm trying to defend the Republic. I'm not trying to defend myself. I've got no skin in that game. I'm not racist. I don't know, but maybe a small handful of racists. I don't typically associate very much with them, and when I do, that association is typically not of a pleasant variety. But I don't go out of my way to, to say stupid things you often hear leftist say, like... Uh, For example, let's say I'm talking to you about my friend Ron Edwards. If I was a leftist and thought it was so important to signal my virtue, I might say things like, My black friend Ron Edwards, or my friend Ron Edwards, who happens to be black. Now, those are things that are true, but I can let Ron speak for himself. I can let you hear Ron, and you got a pretty good idea right off the, the jump that Ron might have a slightly darker skin tone than I do. I don't have to virtue signal it. Ron's my friend. He's a good guy. We agree on somewhere around 85 to 90% of things. We disagree on a few others. And the fun part of that is we're okay with that because we remember that that's part of what makes America great. It's okay to get along with people you don't agree with 100% of the time, because at the end of the day, that means you would only be hanging out with you. Or some poor little lemming who's just not got the courage to admit that they don't agree with you about something. Thank God some of these folks on the left are starting to develop the stones to stand up for themselves. We need more of that. Folks that are leaning to the left, but aren't just flat out uh, give in to the cancel culture, folks. That's a first step towards ending that. Anyway, let me come back from my slight uh, trip down the path line there. So uh, we're back to Pete Buttigieg. We're back to the Department of Transportation. We're back to them saying that equity is their central focus. And if you take the time to go see exactly in their own words, again, don't take my word for it. Go see for yourself. See what they're saying in their own words. They're pretty proud of that fact. They are proud of the fact that equity is their central focus instead of their actual job to make sure that transportation to the country, both commercial and private, is safe for Americans. So if they can't do their job, what's the point of any of the rest of it? Uh, what does it matter if the construction crews are uh, multi-racial if none of them are safe on the work site and they all end up dead? Hey, and let's not forget that we're talking about dangerous work here, right? Uh, What difference does it make if suddenly we have new roads connecting the communities of color if they can't safely get on that road and expect to come back in one piece? The focus is everywhere but the right place. If you really care about the communities of color, you should want what's best for that community, as in safety. You should want not less police, but More police. Uh, Granted, the police need to be of a high caliber, and they also need to be of the right temperament. Uh, I've actually received some criticism online here the last little bit for not talking about the Memphis-Tennessee beatdown. Well, I really haven't wanted to get into it, because my opinion on that's going to be rather unpopular. Not that I think it was justified, because it wasn't. I would like to point out, despite the fact that uh, it should not have went as far as it did, there was some confusion as far as the orders being given, because they were shouting a lot of contradictory orders at him, and the attitude of the Scorpion uh, (laughs) special unit uh, definitely got elevated when he decided to run, but there's the problem. Why did you run? Why did you not just stay? Because that's what happens when you run. You're going to get beat. It's that simple. You take, you make these guys work harder than they should have to. And, and this white cop in particular, at the first part of the video, it's huffing and puffing and, ah, uh, uh, can't believe that guy. <laughs> some of the things that he said, I hope he gets it. Come on. Here's the problem. Dude shouldn't have run, should have never got to that extent, and the cops definitely should not have beat this man, period. Because as soon as he was subdued, it was over. These folks got emotional, they got in their feelings, and I've talked about in the past, I support police, period. But police officers must be held to a higher standard. I can't be one, because I would be the kind of person that, you make me chase you, I'm going to make you pay. For the same reason that I told you the other in the last broadcast, that if you kill my wife, my sister, my daughter, because you tried to rob her and she tries to get her stuff back, I'm not going to be saying, please don't prosecute the criminal. I'm going to be saying, you better get to them before I do. And I think that's a fairly common level. It's a very human response. So... I give a lot of credit to the folks in South Carolina at the church that was attacked when they forgave that young man that killed members of their congregation. When they did that, and I said on air then, they were better people than I am. They're better Christians than I am. That is an inspiration to a level that I need to try to get to. But I ain't there yet. I'm a work in progress like most of us, and I think that's a very human response. But when it comes to the police, we need people that are at that level. We need people that are going to be able to do whatever dirty, mean, nasty thing needs to be done to stop the crime and keep the public safe. But the instant the threat is over, boom, they're back to being regular, everyday servants of the people, protectors of the peace. And that's a hard line. It is a lot to ask for, but that is the job. And the real problem with what happened there is that the city of Memphis, and this is the part that I, I've only heard like two people even mention briefly, and they kind of just skim past it. The city of Memphis, they lowered their hiring standards for the police department. They reduced it a lot. Under the standards that existed before, every single person that was involved in this incident would not have qualified to be a police officer in the city of Memphis. None of them would have it. They're part of an elite tactical unit under this lowered standard for hiring. And of course, why did they lower the standard of hiring? Well, because before they did it, 98% of the Memphis police force was white. They needed a police force that looked more like the community. How about they needed a police force that could do the job?
0: How about that?
1: It was an effort at equity that led to this young man's death. Not poor policing. It was policing done by people that shouldn't have been in the police force to begin with just another failure of leftist policy that puts the wrong people the not qualified people into these positions sure the the guy who got it himself in this situation there's things he could have done that probably would have kept him alive and people can make that argument i've heard several people make it most people have abandoned that though when you simply watch how brutal the beating was once he was finally subdued that was too much it shouldn't have happened those police officers deserve to be fired they deserve to be charged and justice is happening on that count and it may not even be enough there and there's still ongoing investigation so the only thing that i really have to say here is none of this would have been something that we were talking about if they hadn't lowered their standards in the name of equity equity as your center primary focus doesn't lead to good outcomes. It leads to people being hurt. And it's the same thing here. If equity is your central focus in the Department of Transportation, well, you're going to get train derailments in Ohio, and people are going to be forced to leave their homes. You're going to end up with supply chain issues, where truckers can't move from point A to point B and you can't get people even in the the freaking harbors into the ports so that stuff can get unloaded you're going to get a guy who's supposed to be running the department taking off for weeks on family medical leave because him and his gay husband have adopted a child i'll remind you the reason that's a big deal isn't because, oh, you're saying you shouldn't get to spend time with the new child? No, what I'm saying is the whole purpose of family medical leave was presumably the female wife, biological female, not trans, actually gave birth to a child and might, just might, require some additional help while they're recuperating from the physical devastation that childbirth wreaks upon the female body and the normalization and the return to pre-pregnant status that their body is going through. The idea is, okay, well, a biological female that's physically had a child might need a little extra help, and we shouldn't punish anybody in that situation. If they need to take that time off to go be with their wife to help their wife, that was the whole purpose of family medical. That's even the argument they used at the time, and I've heard some of these morons on the left uh, say that that's not the case. It is the case <laughs> i'm I'm old enough to remember when they first passed the Family Medical Leave Act, because then it was just so horrible that there was no protections for the the, the female themselves to have their job safe for them while they were out having it. Well, granted, that was not a great thing. It should not have uh, been that bad of a deal. But there are legitimate business concerns that can be made. They're legit. A business has to be able to hire somebody. And how fair is it to hire somebody in their place just to let them go as soon as they're ready to be back? Especially if that person came in and did a great job. Even more to the fact, maybe they were better at the job.
2: <laughs> oh, you know, like, you can't take that into consideration.
1: Bottom line is, Pete Pete had no business being gone for weeks in the middle of The supply chain crisis. But you know what? As it turns out, it probably was a good thing he was. This train derailment in Ohio, it's a big deal. And it's barely even being talked about on legacy media. They're acting like, oh, well, a a thing happened in Ohio. Let's talk about the balloons some more. Ooh, they're UFOs. The Biden administration says today it's definitely not aliens. You know what that means? Government cover-up. It's definitely aliens. Talk about the balloons. Meanwhile, their actual failing. Their response to the derailment, their investigation into the derailment, the safety of the community where the derailment has... Well, first and foremost, did you see the list of different various chemicals that were involved with this train? That Oh my god, why did we have all these different particular harmful chemicals that don't play well together if they meet, why were they even allowed to be on the same train? I mean, we do have certain rules that the Department of Transportation used to care about enforcing that kind of would prevented this smorgasbord of uh, killer doom soup if they ever get together uh, from ever having the chance of, you know, getting together. Like, say, in the event of, you know, a train derailment? Just strangely specific example for no reason. Good grief. All right, let's actually take that mid-hour break that I skipped back in the first hour because there was so much I wanted to get to. And probably still, I'm only going to get to one of the two remaining topics that I wanted to talk about tonight. Uh, Don't go anywhere. I will be right back in the meanwhile. I want to remind you one more time, don't forget to go visit 4Patriots.com and check out everything going on and use that promo tap at checkout, T-A-P-P. We'll be right back after this very brief break.
2: I'm Ron Edwards, host the edwards notebook and you're listening to tim tap and tap into the truth right here, right here. Is the once golden state of California now a haven for perverted human trafficking? Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Arbors Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you wanted your cup. It is heartbreaking when one thinks about how California has digressed in so many ways. One of the worst is the alleged preponderance of human trafficking activity. Unfortunately, Democrat political office holders in California have passed a series of laws that have enabled human traffickers, both domestic and foreign, to ply their trade of snatching boys, girls and women for the horrendous abuses inflicted upon them by perverted desperados seeking to pleasure themselves by abusing their captured victims. California State Senator Scott Weiner sponsored most of those laws that now favor human traffickers in that state. State Senator Weiner also admitted he used to pal around in the same circles as Paul Pelosi's demented attacker. They say that government reflects the moral and immoral status of the people. Hmm. If that's true, then don't expect California to change for the better until the voters first change and want a better society. I'm Ron Edwards. Until we meet on the next page from the Edwards Notebook, See ya. And remember to join me live weekdays, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 Pacific. To find out where, go to TheRunAtWitch.com.
3: Second Skull. Breakthrough. Revolutionary. Game-changing protection for athletes. Second Skull is an advanced line of protective headgear designed to mitigate the effects of sudden impacts. These impacts are driven by two types of energies. A linear impact occurs when the head sustains a direct hit and then comes to an abrupt stop. Helmets provide protection and reduce the transfer of energy to the head. Here, our protective skull cap provides additional impact protection through its impact absorption technology. A rotational impact occurs when the head is impacted at an angle before coming to a quick stop. Here, our product reduces the amount of energy transferred to the head. Helmets provide protection to dissipate some of the rotational forces. The second skull cap provides additional rotational energy benefits by redirecting impact energy. Second skull provides an independent layer between the head and the helmet. The result is an improved rotational benefit value caused by the slip in our protective skull cap. The slip is further enhanced by the fact that each second skull cap has a floating protective material layer nested between two fabric layers. The layers are comprised of a low friction fabric moisture wicking layer and an independent impact absorbing layer. Our second skull cap provides game changing protection against both linear and rotational forces. The result is two great protective benefits that improve most helmets.
2: Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. These stocks designed specifically for people
4: who haven't started investing yet or don't know how to do it or haven't been trained how to do it or are worried about investing in the stock market that they've never done before. It's a robo-advisor system that really simplifies the investing process. The challenge we all have is that as you work and you grow in your career, you have to put something aside for yourself when you retire, around 65 years old. And the idea of Beanstalks is to simplify that whole process. In other words, put aside 10% of your salary each week, maybe just $100, and let it go to work in the stock market for you. And what Beanstalk does is basically automate that process for you. Easy to set up. You can transfer directly to your bank account and puts it into exchange-traded funds, which are baskets of many stocks, which gives you diversification. That's the whole key, the idea that you can have this done for you weekly or bi-monthly. But the most important thing is to start now and make it so that you are putting something aside for your own retirement. Beanstalks just makes it really simple to do.
3: You're
1: listening to Tap into the Truth.
0: It's all been done. It's all been done. It's all been done before.
1: Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, it has all been done before, but they're doing it way worse than ever before so we still have to talk about it we're not yet winning the culture war but at least we are finally starting to fight it all right with that being said let's take a look at parts of the culture war too. this is a story that i know you're going to hear quite a bit about if you haven't already but it is just that important Neurologists are reporting that the majority of teenagers who began experiencing strange tics after watching TikTok videos during the pandemic, well, they're finally recovering from these tics. Since 2020, doctors have been treating thousands of teens for sudden, explosive tics with no known biological cause that they believe are actually linked to TikTok videos, of individuals claiming to have Tourette syndrome. According to a recent New York Times article, uh, you know, the bastard of right-wing conspiracy theories over there to the New York Times, uh, the, the, neuro, the neurologists treating the new uh, version here of, quote, functional disorders, uh, they say that the majority of cases have resolved on their own. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. How does a Tourette's-like condition resolve on its own if it's actually a true physiological, biological disorder? No. Go ahead, you ponder it for a second. We can maybe play the the theme to Jeopardy in the background for a second. Uh, if if I was a leftist. I might say something along the lines of, oh, it's a legitimate order, disorder, uh, they just need to be transed. <laughs> hmm, I guess I got that one wrong. How about this? How about the fact that, like a lot of us were saying early on, maybe it's a social contagion. Maybe these are the young kids that weren't able to you know, go to schools because all the leftist whiners were scared to death of the COVID that was not being heavily transmitted through kids anyway, wasn't dangerous to uh, kids in general either, and had no real reason because the majority of teachers weren't in any real harm's way either, but they had to keep these schools closed just to say. Now, closed schools during lockdown hours and hours of screen time watching TikTok videos of weirdos who probably weren't even as weird as they were pretending to be. They just wanted attention. How could anything possibly go wrong? Hmm. Young kids, impressionable. Yeah. So now, mysteriously, they're getting better. Well, Clearly, we finally found appropriate and effective treatments for this disorder. Yeah, you know what it was? We let the kids go back to school. They're still watching the same ridiculous TikTok videos, but they're not spending as much time isolated with that being their only contact with other people. They're actually out here and seeing that, hey, you know what? Maybe it's not quite as cool to pretend you have Tourette's. Especially if you got yourself into a mental state where you don't even realize that you're just, pretending. Anyway, according to a doctor that was speaking to the New York Times, a neurologist to boot, they said adolescence is a period of rapid social and emotional development. They are like sponges grabbing onto new skills to cope. Well, it would appear, Doc, that that might not be the only thing that they're sponging up and grabbing onto. The phenomenon in this particular case, known as tick-tock ticks, is considered by medical experts to be one of the most prominent modern examples of mass psychogenetic illness. That, of course, is a condition in which groups of people experience similar symptoms without a clear medical explanation. Again, because there's not a medical explanation. It's a social contagion. But hey, what do I know, right? Just some wise guy from Tennessee sounds like a hill barely most of the time anyway. Anyway, similar outbreaks have occurred for centuries, and can spread rapidly in small communities. Clusters of sudden symptoms can also occur among groups, which usually reflect shared stressors among the group's members. In the Middle Ages, nuns at a French convent began meowing like cats due to fears of possession by the devil. Similarly, in the 2000s, hundreds of children asylum seekers in Sweden became mute and bedridden for prolonged periods of time. Again, with no apparent physiological reason, of course, you know I think that the nuns probably just started meowing because they knew the future would be ruled by cat videos. Anyway, when discussing the TikTok tics, neurologists often mention LaRoy, a small town in western New York. Back in 2011, a cheerleader at the local high school began to experience spasms. Then then, her best friends all of a sudden started to snap her head and within a few weeks, the ticks had spread throughout school's social hierarchy, affecting eighteen different girls and one boy and one adult woman, uh, although obviously easily swayed, although the national news media speculated that there were toxins involved, or a virus that was contaminating the city. Leroy, uh, it's it's ground zero for a new virus that's just going to do crazy stuff to everybody. Uh, The neurologists who treated the affected individuals, however, they knew that many had experienced trauma or serious illness in their families. That still wasn't the explanation, though, was it? The TikTok ticks arrived during the COVID pandemic lockdowns, a period when a lot of teenagers were home from school, feeling anxious and isolated, and relying on social media as their primary way to communicate with other people. Teens began to emulate the TikTok creators by repeating identical words. Things like, Beans and beetroot, performing similar gestures like pounding their chest. TikTok videos under the hashtag uh, Tourette's have been viewed. Tourette's has been viewed 7.7 billion times. As a result, Petri, uh, Petri- <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm getting tongue tied. You can tell when it's getting close to the end of the show. I apologize. As a result pediatric movement disorder clinics saw an increase in patients, causing wait times to extend from three months to a year. Now remember, this is even without socialized medicine. Imagine how bad it would be if you were being doled out the socialized medicine's version of wait times. The doctor, talking to the New York Times here, described the influx of patients as an avalanche. Now, again, hashtag Tourette's. 7.7 billion times uh, viewed these videos. All of a sudden, pediatric disorder clinics are being overwritten by uh, a new group of folks that think they're suffering from a form of Tourette's. And Tourette's is a legitimate neurological disorder, I guess is the correct word to use there. In the process, we're really talking about something that can be quantified as existing. The overwhelming majority of this avalanche of new people showing up at the clinics had no such neurological disorders that could be tested for, could be quantified, didn't seem to exist. Bottom line is, just like with the transing and a few other things, the social contagion phenomenon is probably more prevalent now than it has been in history. And it's something that has existed throughout history. It's not a new phenomenon. How it's currently manifesting may be new. Who's the targets? Still also not that new. Teenagers in particular, because of not only their current status and trying to get into that final few bits of development and determining who they are and who they're going to be, are most susceptible to this type of thing. The good news is the TikTok ticks seem to be finally dissipating. The bad news is, even the medical professionals don't seem to be in a hurry to give you the legitimate truth about why. All right, I got just a couple of minutes left, and I do want to at least give you the Reader's Digest version of this one other story, because, well, it's Canada, it's woke, and it's really, really dumb. A biological male convicted child sex offender in Canada who raped a three-month-old infant boy. You know, literally worst-to-the-worst worst, kind of human slime. He's been transferred to a women's correctional facility near the mother-child program in said women's correctional facility after the inmate identified as transgender. Transgender. Yes, that's a story that you know I could have went on about for a while. But I can't let tonight's broadcast go without at least mentioning it. And if time allows, we, we will revisit. Just more woke silliness. Once again, showing that it puts people in harm's way. Just, it's... It's so it's so dumb, guys. The world's not dumb. Just a lot of the people in it are doing dumb things. Some of these are actually relatively smart people, but still doing very dumb things. That's going to be it for now. Remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort, and most importantly, use your brain. If you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, we will be back for the Friday night show live. Please tune in and uh don't forget to uh, you know, keep an eye on everything going on out there because the world's not getting any safer. It's not getting any saner. And uh oh yeah, one last thing for Joe. This is Tim Tap. <laughs>
3: Evil is powerless if the good are unafraid.